Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track, and it is time to drop the hammer. All right. Looks like we are recording. Welcome back to Off the Track, episode number 37. Happy Wednesday or Thursday, whenever you are listening to the podcast, guys. I'm your host, Tanner Holmes, and also joining me today, my best buddy and co-host, Bennett Gooch. Bennett, how's life been? Pretty good, pretty good. We wrapped up the indoor season, I think, on you know a good note, not necessarily what you'd want you know, because you want to win the race, but still you didn't end up on your lid like last, no last kidding. year. So not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. We have a, a great podcast coming to you guys today. We are at a, a point in the season where we're truly transitioning now from outlaw cart racing to sprint car and just all forms of outdoor shows. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that in today's uh, podcast. But as Bennett said, just finished up the Red Bluff Outlaw indoor season and uh, did that at the West Coast Nationals, which, as we said in the last podcast, is truly the biggest outlaw cart race on the planet. Everybody shows up there with the intent to win a Golden Eagle, and anything less than that is pretty much not a successful weekend. So even for you know us, we ran third, uh, which you know being on the podium is never something to hang your head your head on. Uh, it was it was one of the most disappointing thirds I've I've ever had. So to kind of recap the weekend, I mean, just to give our, our initial thoughts, Bennett, you got to be there. Uh, what were your thoughts on this year's kind of West Coast Nationals and just, you know, I mean, kind of how it all played out? Uh, so I know going into it, there's always a ton of anticipation and stuff. And I think we had, you know, a normal car count. I don't think it's been the highest that we've seen in the past years. But uh, we had actually some drivers from, I think, Texas, Oklahoma, Maybe maybe some other oddball states in between there, but definitely some long drives. But I will tell you, after everything was said and done, this West Coast Nationals was unique in a way that I think, you know, I think you saw one style of track one night and you saw another style of track the next night due to weather and whatnot. And let me tell you, I know in the podcast before this, we talked about the most craziest moments in Red Bluff Outlaws history. And I think this this year's uh, West Coast Nationals absolutely just almost took that top spot over. We'll discuss that probably a little bit later. Um, but yeah, just uh, just a wild, wild events, I guess, that were happening um, that we'll talk about. And, and that's one thing about Red Bluff that I... <laughs> You know, as much as sometimes you love or hate the place, I got to give it to it. You know, it's one of the only racetracks where sometimes I truly leave there just jaw dropped. And I just cannot believe, you know, what we just witnessed. And, and what Bennett is referring to is one of the incidents that took place on Sunday, which is one of our topics of discussion a little bit later. But yeah, it's just uh, Red Bluff has has a way of doing things like that to you. And, and you just you never know what to expect because literally anything can happen uh we started our weekend off thursday they had the cage clone classic and you know that was kind of how it kicked off the weekend we just kind of more hung out and barbecued and because they also had practice sessions where a lot of people were practicing and putting a lot of time on the track which i totally understand you know why people were trying to get that valuable track time especially people that don't get to race there every week but for us, you know, we obviously, we, we, we already said, you know, we're jokingly, you know, we already had our 12 test sessions, you know, 12 points races. If we, if we don't have our stuff pretty dialed in or figured out by now, you know, we're kind of, we're in trouble. So 
we just hung out, kept the trailer, uh, trailer all loaded up, you know, while everyone else was practicing. And I, I really tried to watch the track and see what it was doing. I felt like, you know, any, even though we have ran there all year, it's just nice to see with that many cars and, you know, how it was prepped and, you know, what it's doing to try to just have a head start on the weekend. And one of the, one of the things that did happen Thursday night that I thought was incredible. And I actually, if there's a way to do it properly, I think Red Bluff needs to, needs to implement maybe in the future bigger races. So the Cage Clone Classic, which was a very exciting show in 2021, was also once again a very exciting show in 2022. They had a full field of cars. They had a B main. It was exciting. It was intense. But what they did before the A is what I think made it even better. They did, and Bennett, correct me if I'm, I'm saying this wrong, but it's called Calcutta. Calcutta. It's a Calcutta, yeah. So, and it's basically where you can bet on a driver. You can buy that driver. So what they did is they lined up each cage clone. We had the grandstands full of people. Also, they were selling alcohol this weekend. So, you know, people were drinking, having a great time, just, you know, excited to watch some people, you know, run. So they lined up each driver and then Chase Rodman, the announcer, he was there and they did a, uh, they, they basically started bidding on each driver. And so, you know, maybe for the last guy, it starts at $10 and, you know, uh, you know, someone wants to pay 20, then someone wants to pay 30 and basically it gets rung up. And then, you know, when they get to a certain point where no one else wants to bid, whoever was the last, you know, they end up buying that driver for, let's say, you know, you, if you put in $60, you buy that driver, um, and that goes into the pot. And then they do that for everyone. So obviously the people that are, have a higher chance of winning went for significant amounts more of money. I think the top driver was like around a thousand bucks, right? I I wasn't there, but what I saw, yeah, I think it was pretty high. And I do know that's definitely something to bring up in conversation. Uh, the winner's share in the cage clone race paid more than the opens, <laughs> um, which is actually kind of funny. Oh, it's it was crazy. Yeah. So like, People are throwing money left and right. We had bidding wars between people. You know, guys are going for six, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred dollars. And like I said, the top guy I think was around a thousand. Uh, so they lined them all up. I think at the end, the Calcutta raised fifty one hundred dollars uh, for the Cage Clone race. And so how it works is if you if you buy a driver and they win, you get half that money, and the driver gets the other half. And then on top of the race already was five hundred to win. So with, you know, roughly $2,500, $2,600 split to the driver, the race paid like three grand. Yeah, like Bennett said. So just incredible uh, that a cage clone where most of these cars maybe cost less than that, maybe not. I don't know. But, um, you know, just just crazy what they did with this. And it took about 45 minutes probably to do. But it was another exciting element where fans got to be involved. And I thought it was just it, it added an element to watch that I, I enjoyed. And I, I hope they do that again. Um, and I know it's a little bit of a different situation. They wanted to do it for the opens on Sunday, uh, but they ended up not getting the chance to the one funny story, which it's not funny for my car owner, Jimmy and his buddy, Brian, they bet on a driver who was probably had a good chance of winning. I think he started third. They bid up. I think it was around, like I said, it was around a thousand bucks and he didn't even start. Oh my like, God. They went, they went to pull the deal. And I don't know if it was flooded or what, but they took him to the hot pit and he didn't even end up making a lap. So that, uh, that's, a, that was pretty much, they pretty much just burned up a thousand dollars right there. But like I said, it was all for good fun and, you know, back to the, uh, the cage clone drivers. So they ran that winner ended up going home with three grand that kind of concluded the first night. Then Friday we did our heat race picks. 
which we kind of talked about strategy for the heat race picks. And it was really interesting to see that all really play out uh, for everyone as, you know, some guys were trying to do different things. And, you know, I thought it was interesting, Bennett, a lot of guys were, were going for the trying to start in the middle of both their heats. You know, there wasn't really a lot of people that were eager to try to start in the back of one and just have one big charge instead of, you know, you know they wanted to try to just have two successful heat races from the second or third row. Yeah, I know we definitely discussed that. And, you know, watching people do that, because I think that was more of your goal two years ago, right? Is that, if I'm correct? Yeah, well, I, I kind of, I wasn't sure, you know, with the, it, it's so it's so tough to know. And so I decided, I was like, you know what, I think, I think if I could just have well, one really good heat race, it'd be better than having to bet on myself twice. Right. You know what I mean? And I, I think, honestly, the way we did it this year, or you did it this year, was definitely the way to go. I do like the thought of, okay, if you're already last, you know, you just got to, you either got to hold on and survive the heat race, or you just got to move forward and go for it. And I think... You, you've got way more opportunity to gain positions just by cars literally falling out of the race. And I think we saw a good amount of that um, in years prior. And maybe this year it was a little more cleaned up for sure. Um, but still, just uh, these heat races aren't like normal heat races. I think they're 12 laps instead of eight, right? Uh, Shoot, I think I think they might have been two more laps. They might have been two laps longer, ten laps. I think. So 10 laps yeah. instead of eight everyone's just going for the money and uh i think you know if you start in the back and you got a fast car especially having the qrc house cart like the 18t that jimmy puts together which you know is fast i think it's almost your best opportunity there and you can position yourself to race others around you and you kind of know going into it what you got to do and i think it almost executed perfectly in a sense yeah and and you know Honestly, I, I agree. The strategy was was the way to go. And it's just, it's, Red Bluff is so crazy. So, like I said, to have to do two really good heat races, I would rather, you know, just have to do the, do one. And even though I was able to make the positions up, I started eighth, I ended up running fourth the first night, which was decent points. It was only, it was worth 99 points. So, technically, the person, if someone started on the pole and won their heat from the pole, you get 100 points. I got... 99 for running eight the fourth but if i could have went eight the third i would have got 111 so that one spot was crucial for me i will say um but yeah I, I expected there to be some more yellows but as bennett mentioned it was a little bit cleaner this year i felt like we had a lot less um you know no one really going upside down no real big crashes that eliminated a lot of people my heat race went green to checkered so i kind of got a little hung out to dry by the time i had gotten to fifth and then gotten to fourth i still had enough laps but I just, I never, if I would have got to fourth and had a yellow, it might have been a, a whole different story. I could have maybe even, you know, ran top two or won the heat race um, and had mega, mega points. But uh, yeah, so after the first night, I was sitting, I think, like 13th. But then also, you got to remember, you know, all those guys that started up front and won their heat, they had to go to the back and then also perform. And then by the time it was all said and done, after the second day of heats where I just started on the pole and pretty much just had to run, you know, my my couple laps out front and, and just do my thing and I'd be good. Uh, I ended up with 199 points and I was third overall going into qualifiers. So perfectly executed. Uh, I think the high point person had, uh, I think they went eighth to second in their heat race, but then they ran maybe first, they went first to second the next day, but overall they still gained a couple more points. Cause if you can have that one really good heat from last, the amount of passing points you gain is just incredible versus, you know, trying to go five to one and then four to one, you know, in both heats, you have to pass cars. Right. So going into qualifiers, uh, 
I, this is where it was really intense. And, you know, because even though I was third, most people would be like, all right, you're sitting pretty good. But if you look at it, you know, the, the point spread from me to like 18th is only like 15 points, which is like a couple, that's like a couple spots in a qualifier. So if I don't move forward, I am not looking good at all in the racetrack. You know, it was a uh, pretty hooked up to start the night and almost a little bit choppy on Saturday and it started to come in a little bit, but it ended up kind of being a little bit more bottom dominant by the time the qualifiers rolled out. Um, and we were still able to go eight the fourth in those because it's an eight car invert instead of a, uh, or just, you know, it's just an eight car invert, which is much larger than normal. You know, it, it gives us a chance to shake things up and maybe have a couple guys up front that, that drop out or, you know, cause cautions or anything like that. So eight the fourth. And then I was fourth in points going into the, uh, King of the Hill dash. What were your thoughts on the whole, on the King of the Hill dash? That was, you know, another event they did that last year but I wasn't in it. So I didn't really get to, you know, I just got to watch. But as far as like, you know, I'm not saying it wasn't exciting. It was, but I did kind of feel like it really, it didn't add a whole lot to the show. Yeah. I think, you know, cause there's, there's multiple ways to do something that they're trying to achieve with the King of the Hill or, you know, a pull shuffle. And I think the excitement, the excitement definitely is out in a pull shuffle more than the King of the Hill. Um, you know, we've seen some pretty crazy King of the Hill stuff in different forms of racing. But I think, you know, in years past that the pull shuffle has been just intense because you've had one guy that is moving up and moving up and moving up and that you're just one V one. So all the attention's on you, you know what I mean? But I feel like in the pull shuffle or the uh, it's no, the King of the Hill race, my bad. The pull yeah. shuffle is intense, but the King of the Hill or the right king of the hill yeah, yeah yeah the king of the hill where there's only like four there's, only there's four, four cars, cars out there and usually when the top two break out it's i mean it's kind of just single file from there on and i don't i don't know i like you said i think there were some guys that moved on landon i think moved up pretty well but it just wasn't as exciting as you know we've seen other forms of that type of deal in the past yeah, and, and, and that's not like a, a bad critique towards Red Bluff. It was just, you know, something that they haven't necessarily done year after year. It's kind of changed a little bit and, you know, been critiqued a little bit on how, how they maybe do it differently from year to year. Uh, but, See, but like Bennett said, oh, good. Well, I was going to say the way I would do it is it's the top eight, right, or 12. Top 12. So they did the top, yeah, top 12. Top 12, bottom two go to the front of the B main. I think yes. what they should do is they should do top 12 all on the track at one time you run four laps, caution the field, back to drop out, and you keep the full field out there. Because not only it's going to cause, for, it's going to make for more passing. You know what I mean? You're not going to be able to break out and be as fast as you are when there's only four cars on the track versus 10. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, it's tough. I, I don't know. The only thing I don't like about that, uh, which maybe if they eliminated, if, so may, I would be more for that, I think, maybe if they took only the top 10. The only thing I don't like is if you're the high point guy or let's say you're second and someone goes in there and dumps you first corner, which, you know, isn't really likely to happen, but you just never know. It's Red Bluff. Right. You know, then all of a sudden, like, you're in a B main after being, like, you know, so, top three in points. I'll agree with that. I think it should be locked in. So you're locked in 10, get to race for it for X amount of laps. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And honestly, even that, may, it might just be that. Like, you know, maybe you do... Or you, you do, do ten top sit or top five and five, five cars like a, a dash, a sprint car dash. You know, you have top six. You run yeah. amount of laps is four to six laps, and then you race for your starting position. 
you run the top five and the bottom five, and that's when you if you if you're scheduled to start tenth, you could get yourself all the way up to what sixth, and if you're scheduled to start fifth, you could get yourself all the way up to the first position. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I like something like that. Yeah, because it's cool to have the chance to advance. You know, I, I you know not right. be a hundred percent locked in. Um, and even if they even went old school and just almost did like a okay, the top ten are locked in. They're gonna go run twenty. They're gonna go run twenty lap. You know, like a mini feature. Right. Um. You know, maybe something like that. But I also get because then it's like okay, okay, these guys are locked in, and now we got to put more laps on our equipment before we got to run fifty more tomorrow. So I I understand the argument. It's it's really tough to find something perfect. Uh, but. I definitely think it'd be cool if, you know, maybe if they looked at that and were like, hey, what can we maybe do just to make it a little bit more exciting? You could. Because as Bennett's. Well, I would say you definitely could if you did like a, maybe your top 10 did a 15 lap or 10 lap shootout. I understand the wear on the equipment, but maybe that was your s- smaller prelim version. Maybe that paid out x amount of dollars or a trophy that's pretty prestigious or something you know what i mean that way you're you're racing like a pull award yeah pull award like you're racing for it i i like that something like that would be cool just to add you know it adds some build up to the weekend because the king of the hill as bennett mentioned and you know anybody kind of watching you know for the most part if if you know if, if you're on the front row of the four cars all you want to do is just run your line and no one's probably going to pass you most likely if you just do your job right you know, if you're front row inside and you get out front and you do your job, like no one's really going to pass you. It's just unless they and, and no one's trying to do anything too crazy because we're all locked in. You don't want to wear out your car for the difference between starting seventh and fifth or fifth and third or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, just just interesting. But uh, but the track surface was pretty cool. It kind of developed a little bit of a curb. So I do give Red Bluff props. They, they really as much as the track on Sunday ended up, you know, being what they didn't want. It ended up taking rubber and actually kind of being a little bit more single file than normal around the bottom, you know, I felt like they really put a lot of work into trying. They they tried. They really tried, you know, between trying to have a curb, trying to rework the racetrack, trying to do anything to just give us something um, to race on. And really, besides the open feature, which ended up, you know, not being, like I said, ended up being not a downer. Just like I said, there wasn't a lot of a passing. Just wasn't uh, ideal. All the other features, though, were extremely exciting. Right. I think that kind of leads us into our next little moment here that I was referring to at the beginning. Uh, you want to go ahead and start that out? Well, so the one the one moment that I think Bennett and I can agree is possibly the craziest, the craziest moment we've ever, may, maybe ever seen in Red Bluff Outlaws history. Uh, it's definitely up there, and it was a, it was jaw dropping. And you guys would have to go on. Uh, you know, I, I said I wish I wish you, you could see this visually. Um, but basically, in the 250 race, literally all hell broke loose. Everything went wrong. Uh, so up front, they had, let's see, it actually started about midway through the race. The surface was awesome. Racetrack was pretty good. You could kind of run the top. You could kind of run the bottom. It was starting to get slick. They reworked it. And, and and like I said, even the features leading up to it were pretty good. Uh, but we had Jackson Coughlin was up front. Eric Botello was up front couple of these really good young kids and on a restart a couple of them got together and I don't know exactly what happened I wasn't sitting at a great angle but all of a sudden Jet Yantis uh who is actually the 250 track champion this year at Red Bluff in 250s he was like in sixth or fifth and he was or maybe even seventh and well, he was so, leading the race so what happened with that is so him and Jackson were actually they had a great race like they were racing hard side by side you know really clean and then I think Jackson pulled 
the slide job and then went to go run hive in three and four and jet went down there and like tried to half slide him but just looped it he did a three six you know yeah kept going um i think another person spun caution came out he restarted maybe last or something i don't know but like you said he was up to like sixth or seventh anyways wild restart the front I don't even know four or five get all together on the front stretch, kind of like the one time you and Carrick did and you got up on your lid. And next thing you know, he's back in the lead of this deal. Jackson keeps going. And I think maybe, I think that was it. I think it was just Jackson and him again, still at the front row. And then uh, this is where, this is where it gets juicy. This is where it gets bad. So then restart two to go. Jackson, or uh, sorry, um, Jet Yantis is leading. Jackson Coughlin's in second. Jet picked the inside. I think he picked the inside. Yeah, he, he picked the inside. inside yeah. Um, all of a sudden, they go green. Jet's leading. Looks like Jet's about to win an eagle. Yellow comes out, and there was no caution on track. So we're like, okay, maybe they're about to call him for a jump start. Well, they reviewed it. They realized there was a mistake. It was not a jump or, you know, they, they, they wanted to review it because it was close because they right. said he had took off before the first cone, which they have replay technology, which is really cool. They decided um, after talking it over for quickly under the yellow, they're just going to reline everyone up and give it another shot that it was their mistake, I guess, or, you know, something along the lines of that. Basically, they didn't change anything at all. Yeah. Then on the next restart, Jackson uh, had an awesome restart. Like he knew when Jet was going to go. Yes. So going into one and two, they're side by side, and Jet took the bottom because I think the bottom was the preferred lane at this point in the race, and uh, Jackson just tubbed him. He, I mean, he just got a great run on off the top, and now we're side by side going into three and four. Yeah, he got a great start on the outside, so takes the lead from Jet, and they go into three and four. They're still side by side. Mm-hmm. They come to the white flag, and I'm. I'm I'm like I'm freaking out already. I'm like this is about to be a heck of a finish. I don't even know who's gonna win. Maybe the guy in third's gonna win. Yeah. Um, Jackson gets a run off the top. He tries to go block the bottom, which he was pretty clear. It's it's really hard to say. I mean, at this point, regardless of how this all happened, everyone's going for an eagle, so you can't fault anything. Jackson goes to block the bottom. Jet goes to throw it in there. They make contact. Jet hops. They like squared each other up and it looked like no one was going to wreck. But as it squared Jackson up, because Jackson's on the outside. So in a situation like this where eight wheels is better than four, his left front loses the battle to Jet's right rear. Yep. It like, and it, and it, and it spun him out wickedly, like quickly, you know, just because they hopped wrong. And it's, and in that time, it also spins Yantis out. And Yantis like is halfway sideways, but can save it. In the third place car, Mason King, who's from Oregon, he all of a sudden is leading the race going down the backstretch, going to three and four for the checkered. You know, he, it looks like all of a sudden he's about to win this race. And he, then, he's, he's easily two car lengths ahead of Yantis at this point. Yes, and, and, and part of it too is just because he had more forward momentum. He, I think, made contact with Coughlin when he was, when, as Coughlin wrecked, because he can you know, wrecked in front of the whole field, I think he might have hit him, but it didn't upset Mason's car that bad, maybe. I'd have to watch it back. So much happened. You have to watch it like six times just to see everybody's what everybody happened to them. Uh, so anyway, Yantis is in second now. Mason goes to run the bottom. Uh, and I, I can't remember if he was even like trying to... He just was going to stick the bottom, it looked like. And Yantis, uh-huh. after losing the lead, he throws it in hard. And he moves Mason King out of the way 
kind of doors him in the center of the corner. And all of a sudden, Yantis still crosses the line in first. And like, like I said, we're watching this and we're like, what just happened? Everybody, you know, I, the, I've seen a few moments of Red Bluff. Everybody was standing. Like, there's not one person sitting for this finish. Oh, it was crazy. I mean, just so much happened. You know, we're, like I said, regardless of whose side you're on or whatever, this and that, that's, you know, that's for everyone else to decide. But it was just like, wow. All, like, all of a sudden, the guy that was leading, the, the guy who took the white flag is backwards into turn one. The car that was in second was almost staying near backwards but saved it. Then all of a sudden, he somehow still wins the race. The guy in third was going to win for a second. Like, it just, it was crazy. And on top of that, even the people in fourth, fifth, and sixth still had a shot because they were all right there. So Yantis crosses the line in first, and then, you know, he's obviously pumped. He's celebrating he won the race, and, you know, honestly, at that, I think we all kind of thought, like, Yantis, Yantis, I mean, he crossed the line first, mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden, they had it under review. You know, they wanted to, or something, they were reviewing what had happened uh, on track, you know, to see if they deemed it as clean or dirty driving, and so, like I said, Yantis is celebrating. I think his sister had ran third, which she also races in 250s. So, you know, they're all pumped up. Absolutely. You know, like I said, they won the race and he's doing donuts. And then all of a sudden he gets out of his car to celebrate and they announced that he had been disqualified. And the second place car, Mason King, who, who was third at the white flag, who was leading into turn three, they gave the win to him. Mm -hmm. And just chaos, how it all unfolded. You know, like I said, because, you know, these guys are already celebrating the win everyone's going nuts you know there's some people in the stands that are mad there are some people are happy and like the whole place had just like like i said i felt like it was there was no way it was just me that was like what just happened right i think regardless of who you wanted to win or whatnot i you know yantis also previously ran the open intermediate race before this and uh there was some contact there i think that prevented him from winning that as well um, but regardless of who you wanted to win or whatnot, I came to watch a race and I came for excitement and I got that. I was fulfilled with what I got to watch. And I, you know, I thought it was if, if you want to watch something exciting, that was exciting. And the West Coast Nationals provided it. And I I would watch it 10 times over if I could. And I, I mean, there's no other better way to put it. There's no other, you know, and, and that's, and that's the, that's the cool part about car racing. That's more the thing that we, we want to share like on our podcast. Cause you know, unfortunately with like Red Bluff, just being honest, you know, a lot of negative comes out of it, you know, a situation like that, there's obviously people on both sides of the story. I get that everyone wants to win, but you know, and, and a lot of that negativity goes on to social media and Facebook and people asking what's everyone's thoughts. And I get it. Trust me, I want to win an Eagle. Bennett and I have had our years where we've all been so close and wrecks happen and literally it's just chaos. So we've, we've lived it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, like Bennett said, the West Coast Nationals and the Red Bull Fowlers provided this exciting finish and the drivers laying it all out there on the line. You know, at the end of the day, I probably wouldn't expect anything less. You know, that's what we're, that's what we're supposed to do. And so, um, I mean, congr you know, congrats to Mason King, you know, Everyone involved, Yantis, uh, Coughlin, Botello, all these guys put on such an exciting 250 race, and that was uh, that was probably one of the craziest craziest races uh, I've ever seen at Red Bluff. So if you get the chance to go watch it on Fast Four Media, you need to just just spend about 10 minutes and just take in you know what happened and just you know the unfolding of all the events. Um, and on top of that, there were some other really good races. I think uh, Braxton Foster he kind of walked away in the box stock division. Uh, who wants, oh, Eric Gannon. That was cool. We had him on the podcast. Uh, yeah. His first, and me and you both 
I didn't know that was his first eagle. Yeah, first eagle ever. So that's special, especially a guy that's been racing there so long, has over 20 career victories uh, in the top 10, I think, on the wins list all time, you know, to get his first eagle finally. Uh, so Eric Gannon got it done. I think uh, Riley Fuchs won the beginner box stock. Who won? Uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, Open Intermediate was won by Jennifer Osborne. And then Which my teammate Landon. Cool. That was very neat. You know, she she has been really fast. Uh, and she just, you know, ran a good race, right spot, right time, put it all together. And, um, you know, was the, definitely, definitely one of the fastest drivers on track. So for her to get an Eagle, that was neat. And then, um, Landon Brooks, my teammate got his, uh, his, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was his first, but it's obvious his first open, uh, West coast nationals Eagle. So yeah, the weekend didn't disappoint. The only other topic of discussion, and we'll kind of keep this a little bit short, uh, but a couple people have been talking, you know, should they maybe change the format for West Coast Nationals? We mentioned King of the Hill, but more, you know, it was a long four days. I won't lie. Uh, you know, we're there at the track all day. Um, but I, part of that is just the Nationals atmosphere. But I mean, Bennett, what are your thoughts? Do you think that we should maybe try to condense it a little bit? So I think me and you have an honest opinion and say on this just because I think we've we've seen all the different variations of how the West Coast Nationals can go. I've been there when it's been four days. I've been there when it's been three days. I've been there when it's been two days. And uh, definitely you feel tired and drained nonetheless, regardless of how long you're there because of how much racing goes on. But I will say just this is my personal opinion. However you do it, it's not going to be easy. And I know that just that's just how it is because how you're going to run the format is always going to be different. So there used to be the qualifying and you pay the extra for the extra qualifying and all this. But now with the new format of uh, you pick your heat races and you qualify for tiebreakers kind of eliminates that and makes it a little more cost friendly. And I guess, but the way I would do it and there's two, there's just two, two different ways I would do it. And I don't think we've ever done it this way in the past. And I know we've talked about this. Do you think it should be randomized or you pick your preliminary night and you run a full show with half the cars and that's your pre preliminary night? Yeah, I think I think that's the best. I think that's the best format personally, too. I think if you could have prelim nights, that would add excitement, you know, and it's it's hard to do. I don't know how it necessarily would look, but if you could do prelim nights, because then it you know, I think that's what's cool about the Chili Bulls. Like, OK, you have, you know, obviously we're not going to have that many nights, but, you know, Maybe if, if West Coast Nationals is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, you have your Thursday guys and you have your Friday guys, and it gives a chance for, like, you know, upset winners, you know, people you wouldn't expect. Maybe they have an awesome preliminary night. You're only racing against half the guys. You know, maybe someone stands out. Um, you know, however you could do it. Excuse me. Uh, I think that could be, like, an awesome way for West Coast Nationals to go. So then you're racing all one day, and then the other day you have off and you can watch and you're not, like, you know, because I think, like I said, that's the only thing about the current format is you're there four days and you just you're not running many laps. A lot of it is sitting around because there's so many cars, which is cool. We want the event to be that big, but maybe it could be condensed to where like, OK, you race this day and this day you're not racing. And then, you know, everybody runs Saturday for the finale or Sunday or however they want to do it. And I don't necessarily know how you can mix the cage clones in there, too, because I think the cage clone classic is a neat addition. Uh, but it just makes it hard. The more days it is, I think part makes it hard for people to travel you know because you have travel days on top of how many days you're racing um the only other way i think they could do it if they weren't to do prelim nights to condense it is 
if you were to do the Cage Clone Classic Thursday, because personally, I believe Nationals needs to go back to Saturday night. Finale needs to be on Saturday. Finale, 100%. I think the finale, and we need to put, I don't know how we do this, but I think there needs to be an emphasis on a trophy presentation. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, like we pull out the, remember that banner, the Red Bluff Outlaws banner thing for the trophy dashes? We pull that out. We bring the eagle out after each main event, and you park the winner on the very front stretch there. You run the opens last. So that way, that's that moment. You earn that moment to get that trophy in front of everybody. You have a victory lane right in the center of the track. I think we need to have that because I feel like one of the things I don't necessarily like the most is when the race is over, it's over. And when you get your trophy, it's literally you and the other winners in it. Yes. You know what I mean? Like there's not really a spotlight. We need a spotlight because you earn that. And that's the, that's the biggest prize in outlaw carts right there. You earned it. I, I could not agree more. And I think doing that on a Saturday night would work, you know, especially just, just, yeah, how, how they could do that. And, 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 and also what they could do for the opens. Cause I think it'd be cool. You could almost, you could shut off all the lights. You could have the spotlight you mentioned, you know, it just, it's all about atmosphere. And I think that is, that could bring a little bit back to West coast nationals and instead of doing it on Sunday where, you know, on Sunday you're, everyone's tired. It's late. You know, most people got to work on Monday. It's just tough. Um, so I, most, well, I was going to say, and, and you know, not knocking anything, but most of the people, by the time the opens come around, a lot of the younger kids and their families, they're gone. I mean, they're heading out. It's been a long weekend. They got school on Monday. Uh, they don't have that travel day. Whereas if we wrapped it up on Saturday and everyone had that Sunday travel day, and we put an emphasis on the winners and everything after their main events on Saturday night, I think it would create a whole different atmosphere. Yeah. And I, and I, and so I think if they change the format, you know, even though my dream is for nationals one year to have prelim nights, um, I know how it could be really tough to do that. Even if they did like cage clone classic on Thursday, let's condense it back to three nights, cage clone classic Thursday in practice Friday. I think we can qualify and run both sets of heat races. You can do heat race picks, qualify and run both sets of heats. It'd be a long day, but we're already going to be there regardless. And then Saturday, wake right. up early, do qualifiers and mains. And I think it could be done. It'd be a late Saturday night, but that's still three nights. You know, people are going to be there. You don't technically have to be there Thursday, so it could just be a Friday-Saturday deal if people were traveling from out of town and they want to come down Thursday and not practice. But anyway, I think that could be a good resolution and just making the weekend a little bit more like quick, quick, quick. And then, like you said, when it comes Saturday night, we want everybody in the grandstands to be watching because the beginner kids, you know, like I, I remember being in beginner and box, you know, we wanted to have a seat on the wall or in the stands to watch the open feature. That was huge. Like, Like we're about to watch another year of history for kart racing in the books right ahead of us. And who's it going to be like any of these guys have a shot. So maybe, you know, maybe in the future that is, yeah. I would not be surprised if they do change it a little bit. Uh, I know a couple of drivers were really talking like, hey, I think I think maybe we should do something uh, to just, you know, condense it a little bit and get it to where we can race a little bit more and just, you know, anything to add a little bit of excitement and intensity because it's already, you know, such a big race. Yeah, I think for sure, if anything, I think it needs to end on a Saturday just because I think you allow more of a travel time on Sunday, recovery time. Not everyone's rushing to get out of there, get home because they got work or school or whatever it is on Monday. I think Saturday would be perfect. 
Because, heck, I bet you the party Saturday night would be the biggest party at the West Coast Nationals if everything wrapped up at a decent time, you know what I mean? Uh, But I I think there's definitely a way that, you know, not because there's something wrong, but I think there's always – you can always improve what you're doing if you put your time and effort into it. And I think it'd be cool to see some of that stuff implemented into next year's West Coast Nationals. Absolutely. And uh, with that, we just – also here on off the track, you know, we want to give a huge shout out to Brandon Williams and everyone that worked Red Bluff all winter. I know it's kind of coming, it's coming to an end now. Um, I'm sure those guys will enjoy, you know, their time off until next winter, but the track crew, Brandon, anybody that just, you know, just put so much time and effort, absolutely put so much time and effort, um, you know, into making it happen. Other people, you know, Kyler Shaw, uh, uh, Chase Rodman. Rodman, yeah, all the people that work in the booth. It, it's not easy to run, you know, the top outlaw car track in the nation. And, you know, so many people are obviously showing up and everyone has their opinions and this and that and whatnot. And um, so I totally can understand. But, you know, look forward to, you know, being back there next season. Uh, with that, though, like I said, we are going racing this weekend at the Ocean Speedway on uh, Friday and Saturday at the Stockton Dirt Track. So I cannot wait to get down there in the sprint car. We just finished wrapping everything Wrapping everything up. Uh, the car, by the time this podcast drops, the video should be out. So the car is red, red and black, carbon fiber, super nice. Uh, definitely probably the cleanest sprint car I've had to date. So I can't wait to uh, get it out on track. Um, so we're going to finish that up, load this afternoon, and we will be headed south this weekend. Both uh, nights can be watched on Flow Racing. And we'll have a bunch to talk about next week, kind of about how that's going to go, as well as we're going to try to get some guests on here again soon on Off the Track. Uh, Bennett, do you have anything else you want to add to the show? Uh, not, not really too much. I think uh, as we watch this NASCAR season unfold with the new car and everything, once again, a, an amazing finish to the race at Coda. Dude, you know, Ross Chastain is bad boy. I mean, you couldn't. I mean, I feel like we're watching a new car that has its faults. That's not the best, but I think it's providing for some of the most level playing field uh, in just intense racing that we've seen in the past couple of years. I mean, Trackhouse Racing is literally how new to this to NASCAR? Like what? Two? Oh, a year? Yeah, they haven't been around much much time at all. Yeah, I don't think they've been there that long. And have Ross Chastain move up and get a win for him in the Cup Series is huge. I mean, you, that's literally knocking over Rick Hendrick, Joe Gibbs. Uh, Roush Fenway like these it's just intense that these guys are coming out here and doing this and I think I can't wait to watch you know the rest of the season it's just it's something new and you don't I don't know what to expect each race I don't I I think I could have told you last year Kyle Larson's gonna win or he's gonna be top three this year I don't know yet yeah I you know and if you guys have been listening to all the podcasts you know I'm not a big NASCAR guy but I have been pretty glued to the TV on Sundays for most parts of the race just because yeah it's been it's been exciting to watch and that's that's what they need you know and it's cool for the underdog stories regardless of honestly if AJ Allmendinger would have won or Ross Chastain Ross was definitely the best story you know for sure right but even if AJ would have won that would have been cool you know I feel like just just to see different people and you know and then also it you know the new car is causing controversy for others and we're getting, you know, our boy Kyle Busch is giving us some good sound bites and, you know, everything, everything's right in the world at the current moment for NASCAR racing. Right. Uh, so yeah, we'll have to see, we'll have to see who gets it done these next couple weeks. I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it, but uh, yeah, I'm excited for our seasons to get rolling here. I know 
it's it's getting underway this weekend and I don't think it's going to stop till October. No, we have a we have a lot ahead of us. So that's going to wrap up another episode of Off the Track West Coast Nationals. Uh, we talked about some great moments at Red Bluff everything and all that and then what is ahead of us all in today's show thank you guys for listening you can listen uh, on all your favorite podcast platforms as well as we have the audio version on youtube Uh, but we are going to be signing off for now and we will see you guys next week on off the track thank you see ya ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages you are watching off the track and it is time to drop the hammer